Welcome to the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast, where we invite you to pursue God, engage in community, and make a difference. Well, hey, my name is Jeff. I'm part of the teaching team here at Rainier View, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to join us as we start a brand new series this morning called Movement. Uh, now, increasingly in our world, the, the culture around us increasingly believes that religion seems to be viewed with more indifference, with more apathy, uh, even with hostility, in particular towards organized religion, okay? Maybe that describes you right now. Maybe that's a place that you personally are in. Uh, maybe some of us, we know somebody that that would describe, but we have somebody in our life that we would love to uh, connect with more and understand better, and that's, that's where they're at. Um, but the question really isn't whether or not uh, people view organized religion as somehow part of the problem in our society. The question I want to ask today is, is that the thing that makes the most sense of the evidence? Is that viewpoint what makes the most sense of the evidence if we really look at it? And so um, sociologist uh, Rodney Stark spent decades studying uh, the effects of relig religion upon society, former UW professor, go Huskies, uh, and Really, I want to take a moment and look about what the findings of his research point to, not what your uncle's Facebook post tells you about the world. And so here's a few things that Stark's data and research tells us about religious people. He found that people of faith are the primary source of secular charitable funds that benefit victims of misfortune, whatever they believe. Religious people dominate the ranks of blood donors and other similar pro-social behaviors. Uh, they are much less likely to commit crimes. They're far more likely to donate their money and their time to socially beneficial programs and to be active in civil uh, affairs. And the impact of religious people on volunteering alone uh, stands at something like $47 billion of realized um, volunteer time in the U.S. alone. Religious people, they enjoy better health. On average, they have a life expectancy of more than seven years longer than that of non-religious people on average. That fact alone ought to cause all of us to lean in a bit more. Uh, religious people tend to read more than their non-religious friends and neighbors. They are less likely to believe in phenomenon like UFOs and Bigfoot uh, and Loch Ness and the like. Now, if you're up here in the Pacific Northwest and you are carrying the torch to find Bigfoot, uh, hey, we love and respect you and are glad that you're joining us. But um, religious people are less likely to divorce and they're uh, more likely to report higher degrees of satisfaction with their spouse. Religious husbands are far, far less likely to abuse their wives, or their children. Spousal abuse, therefore, is far more likely to happen in a home where religion is not a factor, contrary to a very popularly held belief that religion is the primary driver in the subjugation and abuse of women. That's simply not what the research uh, tells us, that religion is responsible for that. Religious fathers are more likely to be involved in youth-related activities such as coaching sports teams or leading pro-social groups. Um, re religious students tend to perform better on standardized achievement tests. They're far less likely to drop out of school. They obtain better jobs upon graduation and are far less likely to be on unemployment. And these studies consider factors including race and geography uh, across the U.S. in these studies. And then lastly, 
out of 247 studies done between 1944 and 2010, over and over again, religion has been seen to have a positive effect on society in regard to crime, to delinquency, and deviance. Um, I'm not sure what those last two exactly mean, but uh, again, you kind of get the sense in the picture there. That this is, again, one sociologist um, body of work over, over the course of his career pointed to this is the effect uh, that, that religion has upon society. But really, the question, I read all that, I share all those findings with you because I want us to ask ourselves an honest question. What if, what if faith does indeed help us live longer and healthier lives? What if faith is a positive factor for good in society, whether or not uh, we personally want to be part of it at the moment? What if, what if it's true? And if you're curious about the effects of Christianity in particular upon society throughout, uh, throughout the centuries, uh, I would encourage you to pick up a book, John Dickerson's Jesus Skeptic, a journalist explores the credibility and impact of Christianity. And yet, increasingly, people are moving away from faith as a central source of stability of guidance in their life. Uh, the Pew Research Center, one of the most uh, reputable research organizations in the United States, uh, in, tw in 2007, they began tracking uh, just the, the religious uh, habits and identifications of, uh, of Americans. And so in 2007, uh, they, they found that for every individual who indicated that they were a spiritual nun, meaning that they indicated spiritually nothing, unaffiliated, you know, no, no spiritual background or belief. For every one person who indicated that, there were five individuals who indicated that they were a Christian. Today, that ratio is three to one. And for those of us who are people of faith, we can see that trend line. We can hear a stat like that, and we can grow very concerned or very angry very quickly about people, about forces that we believe are anti-God or anti-faith and that are leading uh, to this happening. Okay, but here's what I want us to pause and know right now, right out the gate, that the greatest challenge to the church, the greatest challenge to, uh, to faith in Jesus today is not atheism, it is apathy. Greatest challenge we face is not atheism. It is an apathy towards all things related to Jesus and Christianity. Um, now, collectively, we just know this. Our culture has grown increasingly apathetic towards the Christian faith. Now, the bright spot in all of this is that those uh, who are in the younger generations who are actively seeking to follow Jesus tend to be more all in. They tend to view all of, all of the facets and aspects of their life through the lens of faith. They're less likely to kind of believe in a, uh, a health and wealth version of Jesus, kind of a baptized version of the American dream Jesus. They're less likely to view faith in Jesus like that and instead uh, just view all of the aspects of their life through that lens of following Jesus. Now, whether you are young or old, what we want to help you do uh, as, we, as we begin the series is to either discover or rediscover uh, the importance of having a spiritual foundation in our lives or help to have those discussions better with people that you do know uh, and share well. And so this morning, I encourage you to listen for yourself or to listen well for somebody else in your life to help recapture a sense of 
openness spiritually to who God is and how he's pursuing us currently in our lives. Because we're all on a journey, whether we realize it or not. Whether currently you might be just disbelieving that that God is a part of your life or you don't want him to be any part of your life, if God is there, he is pursuing you. And so we're all on a journey of the pursuit of God, whether we realize it or not, if he's there. Now, many of us have been following Jesus for decades through the twists and turns, the ups and downs of our life. Um, But as we start our series together, what I want us to do is to look uh, and take stock at how do we address, how do we approach spiritual apathy and begin to move to a, a space of spiritual openness? And I believe that begins with gaining clarity on where we are at. And so we're going to be in this series looking through the book of Acts, and we're going to be looking uh, at, at this account and see uh, the lives of real people in this book and the different places that they are spiritually. And those different places they are spiritually can help us identify maybe where we are at and help us see what a next step of faith might look like. Uh, and so, yeah, um, the book of Acts is a book in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to download a free Uh, digital version of that through the Bible app on your app store. Uh, But we're going to open up to Acts 17 in a moment. Um, And again, as we look at these accounts, we're going to see five different places that we might be in spiritually, or five different places that people might be in spiritually, and how we can take a step from apathy to openness, or how we can help somebody take a step from being spiritually apathetic to becoming more spiritually open. Uh, and so join me as we begin in Acts 17. We're going to pick up in, uh, in verse 16, and we're going to look at an encounter where faith in Jesus meets the marketplace of ideas about who we are as people and how the world works and how to make sense of life. And we're going to see Paul enter the discussion here. So join, uh, join with me, look at verse uh, 16 of Acts 17. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Okay, there's a lot to understand and uh, unpack here what's happening in the passage. Uh, We're actually going to give you a kind of a bonus podcast to explain these different groups of people here and what the Areopagus was a little bit more in detail. But all you need to know now is that these groups meeting are kind of like the social media and internet of the day. This is where all the discussion about what's happening in their world and the way the way to view life is taking place. Uh, And so uh, similarly, this, this is taking place at the Areopagus in the first century AD. Uh, but what was, what was happening that 
for the Athenians that would gather is that they would bounce from idea to idea and movement to movement and, and ways to think, but there was truly no foundational anchor to that. And so that's why it described them as they just spent their time talking about whatever the latest thing was to talk about, the latest fad of the day. Uh, if the Athenians had a tattoo shop on the site of the Areopagus, one of the top tattoos I think people would get uh, would say, obviously in Greek, it's about the journey, not the destination. Of course, after the, uh, the Caesar laurel crown armband tattoo, that would be number one. But the second one would be this, this sentiment, it's about the journey, not the destination. Now, a statement like that, that you, we probably have all have seen online or on some motivational poster or statement somewhere, um, the, the thing is that, that is a half-true statement. There, there's a lot of wisdom in that. We should never feel like we've arrived. We can stop growing. No, we should always be seeking to grow as individuals and discover more about who we are and grow into, through the lens of faith, the person that God is calling us to be. But there's a difference there's a difference between that and having no center, having no foundation, having nothing to anchor you as you live your life. And so let's uh, continue to look in the passage and see how Paul speaks to both people who are spiritually apathetic as well as people who are spiritually open. So let's continue. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, what I want to kind of highlight out of this passage is that Paul builds some common ground with the people of Athens as he's sharing with them, as he's interacting with them. And for those of us who've been Christians a long time, we can't rush past this point because the, the culture around us currently increasingly, year over year, decade over decade, views Christians through this lens that Christians are hypocritical, they're judgmental, they're mean, and even hateful. That is increasingly how we are viewed. And I think, unfortunately, some of that is due to the posture that Christians take that, they, that we assume we should be against the world. We should be taking a stand against the world. We should be antagonistic towards it. Because after all, the world is evil, right? There's a lot of bad things happening. We need to take a stand. And if this is our mindset, this antagonistic opposition to the world, we've missed what it means to walk like Jesus in the world around us. Because that's not how Jesus conducted his ministry. That's not how Jesus uh, met people and interacted with people. And so, yes, 
We are, as followers of Jesus, if, if that's where we're at, we are to reject the values and the behaviors that are contrary to the ethic of Jesus, that are contrary to walking in the way of Jesus. But, but that never means that we are supposed to attack the people whom Paul describes here, as he has that quote uh, in, in Acts 17 there, that we are his offspring. Every single person is to be viewed as a child of God. In which, by the way, Paul quotes two pagan poet and philosophers here, Epimenides and Eridus. Uh, and this is a great reminder to all of us who are followers of Jesus for the need to find common ground, to build discussion, to build relationship around. Because far too often we don't do this because we equate tolerance with the complete and total acceptance of what somebody else believes, believes that our beliefs have to 100% overlap and agree with everybody else's uh, beliefs. And this is actually nonsense. We know that this is not the way the world can work. Uh, I love what Tim Keller says about tolerance, and I love the way he reframes this discussion uh, about tolerance in our world. He says that tolerance is not approving an opinion you do not hold. It's about treating the person who's saying what you can powerfully disagree with, with respect, with humility, and with love. And I believe that we actually have to redefine tolerance, how Keller describes it here, if we're going to have any sort of meaningful dialogue with one another when, when we have differences. We, we have to get here, right? Because again, it, it's nonsense to think that we're all going to believe the same things all the time, 100%, that, that we can get there, right? We live in a world where we can't even agree if pineapple should be a topping on pizza, okay? Like, that's... That, that's just one silly example. Now, I will tell you that ranch has no place on pizza. And this guy, Jay Jarrier, is one of my new heroes. Jay Jarrier owns a pizzeria in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and he will allow you to put ranch on your pizza at his Neapolitan-style pizzeria. It will just cost you $1,000, okay? Because he knows what I know is that ranch has no place on pizza. But if you want it, you can have it this is just the price of having it and ruining your pizza. So anyways, uh, with that in mind about tolerance and how, again, if we think it's about 100% agreement, we're never going to have meaningful relationship and discussion. But with that kind of version in mind of tolerance, of disagreeing, but disagreeing with humility, respect, and love, let's continue in the passage to see how does Paul encourage people to begin to move from a place of spiritual apathy to a place of spiritual openness there in Athens. Acts 17 goes on, verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on the subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. 
And so we see here in this passage that when it comes to spiritual openness, I think some in Athens were just playing the game. They just liked to talk and debate, but they weren't really open because when Paul brings up this, this concept, this idea of resurrection, how does the passage describe them? It says some of them sneered at the idea. They weren't really open. They didn't want to hear that, but some were. Some were, and it says not that in that moment they became followers of Jesus. It says that they became followers of Paul, first and foremost. Not that Paul was God, but that they wanted to hear more about this concept, more about this idea of resurrection from him. Uh, and so, whereas some in the crowd were apathetic, others were open. Here's the thing. I believe uh, that as Paul described us as, as God's offspring, if we are his children, that means that we are incurably curious at our core. Because what's one of the core characteristics of a child? It's curiosity. And so God desires as, as his children for us to be curious about our relationship with him and pursuing him and our spiritual lives. But here's the thing, the hurts from our past and the pain from our past, the anxieties and the pressures of our present and our fears about the future often crowd out the space for you and I to truly be curious. Think about this, right? Uh, when, we, when we are having a hard time, we have no time to dedicate to exploring new ideas or, or taking time uh, to be curious in our world. No, it, it's crowded out. It's choked out. Uh, and so curiosity is key in becoming spiritually open. Um, and it's in part why I believe that the resurrection is still such an unshakable idea in our culture. I mean, think about it. How many books, how many movies uh, that this theme, this idea of resurrection still uh, is part of our, our even popular culture, right? It's like we can't get rid of it. It's kind of similar to when Paul points to that uh, altar of an unknown God, and he's like, you guys don't know what this is, but you're worshiping it, okay? To me, I think it's the same thing with the concept, the idea of resurrection. It hangs around. It kind of haunts our culture, if you will. Uh, but but our, at our culture, in a broad sense, doesn't necessarily know what to do with it. And so what keeps us as people from exploring the concept of resurrection more fully in our lives? To put it another way, what keeps us being spiritually apathetic or disinterested as people? Uh, so in part, I think why is that I think we tell ourselves, well, life's going well, and so I don't need to worry about that stuff, right? My life is going pretty well. It's pretty comfortable. Things are going good for me here. And so I have the luxury to not worry and to not be interested in that. And I think we can become quite good at ignoring the questions that are attached to, uh, to our spiritual lives, to these big picture questions about how life works and, and where we're from and where we're going. And so we can become really good at ignoring those questions. But here's the thing. All the success, all the comfort, all the knowledge in the world is ultimately not going to allow you to bear the weight of being human. At some point, all of that is going to let you down. And so don't wait until pain forces you to reckon with your spiritual life. And speaking of pain, I think that ends up being the other reason why we become spiritually apathetic and disinterested. Because maybe we've been hurt. 
in our life. Maybe we carry on pain because God didn't show up the way we expected him to or the way that we wanted him to. Uh, and maybe we put the source of that pain on people of faith. We say, oh, oh it's, it's Christians' fault. It's religious people's fault. And ultimately, I think we need to kick that pain, that anger up the ladder back to God. Okay? We need to take that directly to him. And I think this is a key part in moving from spiritual apathy to spiritual openness is to go directly to God with what our pain and frustration is. Because I do think that there's a lot of unfair blame that is cast towards people of faith as the reason why maybe you or somebody else struggles with faith and the concept of faith. It's not to say that people of faith don't do messed up or hurtful things. That, that's not the case. Um, but it, it is to say this, okay? At least for those who are followers of Jesus, I'm not talking about people who just slap the label Christian on their life. I'm talking about people who are actively trying to follow Jesus. I know for us, what that means is we're trying to take Jesus' commands seriously. We're trying first and foremost to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. And that we're seeking to just simply take the hope and the purpose and the meaning we find in that and share that with others uh, about what we've discovered. That's what we're trying to do simply. And I think it's simply easier for, for us if we're in a place of spiritual apathy to just blame another person rather than to truly consider who God is and might be in our lives. Um, and so here's the thing. Back to what I, what I opened with, sometimes if you're in that camp of like, well, uh, you know, I'm pretty comfortable, pretty successful, nothing's really going super wrong in my life, I don't need to worry about this right now. Here's the thing. That, that means then that comfort and success is what you are relying on. It's what you're pursuing. In essence, it is God in your life. And here's what I know about the God of comfort and success. It will fail you at some point. The God of comfort and success will fail you. And so we must deal with the pain that we're holding on to, or we must deal with the fact that we are, we are putting our trust in a God that ultimately will fail us if it's success uh, and comfort. And so here's the good news. Here's the good news that comes out of what Paul brings to the Areopagus in Athens in the first century and what is still we hold to be true as followers of Jesus today. Uh, that the resurrection means this. There's meaning for my life and there's a God who knows my pain. And so if we're in that category of, yeah, we're, if we're honest, I'm just kind of spiritually apathetic. I just don't really care about much of this stuff right now, Jeff. If that's where we're at, or we know someone who's in that space in their life, what if, what if we began to attend to these questions of meaning, of pain, with a little bit more intentionality? What if we learn to bring those questions up in healthy community, in healthy discussion with others? What might shift for us if we discover that there's a life of hope and meaning and purpose that can be found by embracing faith in our life? Uh, and as we move from a posture of spiritual apathy to spiritual openness, what if the resurrection means that there's a deeper meaning for my life? What if it means that there's a God who truly understands my pain? That's what we believe the resurrection speaks to and is about here. And we hope that that intrigues and interests you. Or if you're a follower of Jesus, you know somebody who you would love to have this conversation with. And that's why we're all in on following Jesus here. It's why the church exists. 
Because if the resurrection is true, there is no other conception of God that people have held to that can, that can allow us to know a God who knows our pain, right? Because we believe that Jesus came somehow, God in the flesh, he, he lived among us. He ate, he slept, he wept, he bled, and he died in order that we might be able to know God because God took the first step in becoming like us, truly commiserating and knowing our pain. There is no other conception of God that, that paints that picture of, of how God could meet us, how God could truly know our pain. And so where do we begin? Where do we begin? For those of us who, uh, again, would, would identify, yeah, I'm kind of spiritually apathetic right now. I just don't care about any of this stuff. Can I, can I just ask you to do one simple thing? Would you be willing to just bring one question about faith to a Christian that you know in your life, right? Just ask them just one question, something that you would love to understand more fully. Uh, because here's the thing. I think at worst, um, you're going to have an interesting conversation, and most likely you're probably going to uh, understand that you have some stereotypes about Christians that aren't necessarily true uh, and accurate. If you are a follower of Jesus, and you're, you're trying to think of like, okay, yeah, I know, uh, I know somebody who's, who's spiritually apathetic in my life. I don't know where to begin. Hey, would you be willing to just be present and listen Listen to somebody else uh, and, and where they're at in their journey. I would encourage you to go back and find our message series from October 2021 on bless because we've talked about, right, we want to be a church where we are blessing the lives of others and we have this simple bless acronym. This week, I would just encourage you to find somebody to practice that L with. Listen. Listen with empathy to truly hear what is going on under the surface, what's going on underneath the veneer that we all are holding on to so much. And I believe if we're willing to be empathetic, if we're willing to truly listen, man, we are going to have opportunities to talk so much about the, the, the difference and the meaning and hope and life that we have discovered and found in Jesus. And so wherever you're joining us from, wherever you, you are on, on this uh, journey of faith, whether you're just completely apathetic right now, uh, whether you're just dialed into following Jesus, I encourage you to take one of these two steps this week. And we're looking forward to seeing what God does in your life as you, as you take that step of pursuing him. So thank you so much for joining us. And we're looking forward for you to join us back here next week as we continue in our series, Movement. Thanks for joining the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified for all future episodes. Be sure to connect with us on socials at Rainier View CC and find out more about us at rainierview.org.